Alright, if you have a Bible or a smartphone or Google or something like that, could you just turn with me to Acts chapter 2? We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 41 uh, this morning. There are a number of things we're going to tie together here. I've been looking at what is the meaning of baptism. Believe it or not, the last sermon that I preached on baptism, which was in August, I did not exhaust the topic. This is one of those, this is one of those uh, subjects that, believe it or not, there are four, five, six hundred page books written on them with many, many footnotes. And there have been that throughout church history. Baptism is something that everyone, I believe, recognizes in some shape or another. Even if you don't have a church background, you've seen baptism in Hollywood movies. If you've got Facebook, you might have, or Instagram, you might have seen uh, usually the uh, videos of little kids jumping into the baptismal. You see videos of Eastern Orthodox priests slamming babies under the water and pulling them up. You see pastors with too much testosterone uh, doing hard baptisms. Everything's online. If you don't have Facebook, I'm speaking a different language here, but those videos are out there and occasionally they'll, they'll pop up. Everyone's got some understanding of baptism, but having a little bit of knowledge about something can sometimes be both unhelpful and very confusing. A little bit of knowledge. All major Christian traditions have baptism, with the exception of the uh, Salvation Army and the Quakers. Uh, all within the Protestant tradition have two uh, sacraments or ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The Catholics have seven. Uh, baptism is one of them. And sacraments or ordinances, you do not need to be by those words. A lot of Protestants much prefer the word ordinance within sacrament. Uh, they take their meaning from their explanation of what they are. We put word and sacrament, or word and ordinance if you prefer, together, because the word explains what's happening. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs which signify actual realities. And that's an important thing as we try and understand what baptism is. They are signs which signify actual realities. In some way, it's an imperfect illustration, but a wedding ring is a sign which signifies a reality, which is marriage. And they've got material elements we use in everyday life. And they used the everyday things that we use in everyday life that are used to be visible representations of the gospel of Jesus. They allow the sacrament or the ordinance to be a visual representation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we important, that's why I say the word, the explanation is important because it gives the sacrament or the ordinance its meaning. It gives the material that you're using its meaning. And that might sound confusing, but it's not when you think about it in these terms. You can drink bread and wine or dark grape juice, whatever, whatever it is you use in your tradition. 
But the Lord's Supper requires the explanation of this is my body, this is my blood. To be actually a sacrament. Otherwise, you're just simply eating bread and you're drinking wine. Baptism requires an explanation of what's happening to be baptism. Otherwise, it's just someone taking a swim in a shallow pool in nearly winter. Does that make sense? We have to know what they're about for this for the sacrament to have its meaning. The reformers taught over and over that God's word explains the meaning of the ordinances. It's God's word that explains what's happening. And they take their meaning from the word of God. And without the word and without the understanding of what the actual reality is, we're simply eating and drinking and we're simply taking a swim. And no one comes to watch someone take a swim unless you're very, very fast. Fair enough? With that out of the way, let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to, to 41. The sermon in Pentecost. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is our main text this morning. Obviously it has some context. Pentecost has, it's, is happening. The Holy Spirit has been given to the church at the start of Acts chapter 2, and it causes the crowd to form as people speak in tongues. And Peter the apostle stands up and he begins preaching. He begins explaining what all this means. And the summary of Peter's sermon is in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ Jesus whom you crucified. He says to this crowd of predominantly Jewish people that Jesus is Lord he is Lord over all, he is King over a kingdom, and he is Christ, he is, he is Savior. He is the promised one that came to save people from their sins. And he says to the crowd, this Jesus you crucified. And what that means is it's not the thousands of people and they're all held onto that hammer and they held onto the nail and they nailed Jesus to the cross themselves. That would be impossible. But he's saying it is your sins, your rebellion against God that made the crucifying of this Lord and Savior necessary. 
you did this. And they said that in verse 21 it says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the call. And so the men heard this and the men and the women in the crowd, they heard this and it said they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Oh my gosh, we really messed up. We have killed the King of Glory. We have spurned the promised Savior that we were expecting. What do we do now? And Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's the command. Believe this Jesus. Trust in Him and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. I want to share uh, four things that we can get from this text. Four things about baptism that come from this text. The first one is that baptism is a public profession of repentance and faith in Christ. That makes sense. That's right there in that text. And remember I said to you that the sign and the thing signified the actual reality of the sign. They're closely related. And baptism is closely related to the thing that it is picturing. This is a public profession of repentance and faith. That means baptism. What's the meaning of baptism? A part of the meaning of baptism is that it is a public profession of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus began his earthly preaching ministry in Mark 1.15 by saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The gospel. And you might be looking at the text of yours. You're paying attention in your Bible. You might be saying the word faith is nowhere there mentioned. It just says repent and be, be baptized. What do you mean you need to believe? What do you mean you need faith? Well, they go together. They go together. It says here, Luke, who writes Acts, says, those who received his word were baptized. What word did these people that were baptized receive? They received the word of the gospel. They received the message that was preached, this message about Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and Savior. There's good news of salvation in his name. They received it. They believed it. To repent is this hugely strong word. They repent. They were going in one direction. They changed their mind about Jesus. They changed their mind and they turned. They realized they were going on the wrong way. They turned. And they turned to Jesus Christ. They received this word. They believed it. They said, I was wrong. They said, I need a Savior. One cannot repent of sin. One cannot turn from sin without turning to something. By turning to Jesus, you're believing that He is who He says He is. A Christian man I know, uh, my age, with a little young family, died this week. And his last words were, Jesus is who he says he is. That is so utterly powerful. That is a powerful testimony. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And that was his dying words. 
And that is what is being confessed, professed in baptism. Jesus is who he says he is. I turn from my old way of life. I turn to him. So this call to repent upon of sin, to believe the gospel, it carries with it then a command. The first command is to be baptized. Be baptized. Demonstrate your repentance. Demonstrate your turning from sin by turning to Jesus for forgiveness. You demonstrate this by being baptized. And sadly, at the risk of being offensive, which I do all the time, Sadly, from the around about the 1840s onwards, in many evangelical churches, in some ways, this turning from sin, this public profession, has been replaced by altar call. At the end of the service, the preacher will ask for people to come up to the front and profess their faith, or maybe rededicate their life, and they're making a public stand by walking to the front, walk to the front, they're making a public stand for Christ. I'm not saying that's the worst thing in the world, but I'm saying you've got a perfectly good one right here, a perfectly good public profession, which is by being baptized. It's the richest profession possible. Secondly, baptism pictures union with Christ. This is one of my favorite aspects of the Bible, his favorite aspects of the gospel, that the Christian has union with Christ. They identify with Christ. Peter says to the crowd, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not just be baptized, this is be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a specific identification with Jesus Christ. Whenever I do a, a baptism class, I use the explanation of wearing a uniform. I said, if you're playing rugby for the Manawatu Turbos and you run onto the field wearing a Hurricanes jersey, everyone's going to say, what? You're not on the team. You're wearing a different uniform. You don't. You haven't identified yourself with us. You can't play with us. You're not on this team. It makes no sense. Baptism identifies you with Jesus Christ. There would have been certainly some understanding of, of baptism. These people would have known something of baptism. Believe it or not, there are baptisms in the Old Testament. They take a different form. There's ritual washings in, in Exodus. And there is very much an understanding of baptism being something that gives a union with another person. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, verses 1, it says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What he's saying there is, as the Jewish nation went through the Red Sea, and fleeing in the Exodus out of Egypt, they were baptized into Moses. And goes on to say, ultimately it was Christ who was helping lead them through. 
is an understanding of baptism that it identifies you with someone or something. Then came John the Baptist, a man who ate locusts and wild honey and had a coat of camel hair at John the Baptist that you remember from Sunday school. And it says about his ministry that he baptized, he had a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was saying that you had repented of your sins and you needed your sins forgiven. And that's why John was baptizing as a foretaste of Jesus Christ. The people here in Acts chapter 2 might have been wondering, okay, the Holy Spirit has now come. Surely we don't need these baptisms anymore. Surely we don't. Surely that's not obsolete. After the coming of the Spirit, after Pentecost, we don't, maybe we don't need that anymore. But what Peter does here is he actually gives a bigger, clearer picture. And he says that baptism, there are going to be two changes now to John's baptism. It's still for the forgiveness of sins, but we need to clearly see it's in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That is the fuller picture. And from that we can see that Christian baptism... The reality, the union pictured in Christian baptism is that we have union with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows us to identify so closely with Jesus Christ that we are His. That is being pictured in baptism. One of my absolute favorite explanations of baptism is found in Romans chapter 6. Verse 3 to 5. Hear this. Do you not know that all have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Remember that into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I am going to use my Bible and read that again. This Bible symbolizes Russell and Victor. Okay? Standing up. We got that? A little bit strange? Look at the picture of union with Jesus Christ. Identification with Jesus Christ. Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death under the water? Struggling for breath right now. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death just in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Do we see that? Do we see that picture, that union with Christ, identifying with him in his death and resurrection, the sole hope for humanity? Baptism is therefore a sign of our identification or union with Christ. So clearly seen. So clearly seen. Why do we need to be identified with Christ? Why do we need to be identified with Christ by baptism? 
Because on the one hand are the blessings that secures, and the other hand the judgment it saves from. Let me unpack a little bit why this close identification or union with Jesus is necessary. Peter tells this crowd here at Pentecost, he says, save yourself from this crooked generation. Crooked generation. He's saying, this generation is unbelieving. It is rebellious. It hates God. It goes their own way. It needs to repent. He says, save yourself from this crooked generation. Everyone goes their own way and hates God. Who does Peter sound like when he's saying that? Save yourself from the crooked generation. Think. Think. If you say Jesus, you're right. You're right. Because Jesus uses these words in Luke chapter 9. But I want you to go further back. Who does Peter sound like? Doesn't he sound like Noah? You watch that movie? came out recently. It's in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Save yourself from the coming judgment that this generation faces. It's Noah. It's Noah. Noah was a preacher. That was his job. Noah was a preacher who had seven converts in many decades of preaching. That gives me hope. Noah was a preacher who built an ark. That was his primary job. And Noah warned of the coming judgment because of sin. Let me tie this together. Later on in your Bible, the exact same Peter who's preaching this sermon wrote a couple of letters in your Bible. They're called First and Second Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says this. I'm going to start in verse 18. Stay with me. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. How does he do that? Verse 20. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few... That is, eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. You see the word conscience there? You start seeing, looking at that, you start getting... Difficult to understand. We're not going to overcomplicate that. What that text is showing is a beautiful reality, one of the many beautiful realities that baptism pictures. Peter, in his epistle, First Peter, draws a correlation between Noah and his family being saved safely through waters of judgment in the ark. Right? We get that? The family was saved through waters in the ark, and he draws a correlation between that and baptism. Now, when we think of water and baptism, okay, going together, specifically, 
I think the first place our minds go to is that baptism is symbolic of washing. Large, large amount of water, we do that most days, I would hope. It cleans you. And it is. It is symbolic of washing. But more often, Scripture is symbolic of judgment. Symbolic of judgment. Noah and the flood, the first one. Water was judgment. In the Exodus, as the Jewish nation came out of Egypt, the walls of the Red Sea came up threatening judgment. And Moses led the people through, and Jude tells us that Jesus was actually the one leading them through. And then the walls of water eventually came crashing down on Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. Water is a symbol of judgment, not just cleaning. And so Peter says, baptism saves. Baptism saves. Not as an external washing, because that's not your problem. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. Not an external washing, but an internal thing. Basically, he's saying, I put all my trust and hope what Jesus has done in saving me through his life, his death, and resurrection. I put all my hope, that's an internal thing, all my trust, that's my heart. I put all of it in Jesus. I demonstrate that I am saved from judgment for my sins by being baptized. By being baptized, we are saying, I am confident. I am internally confident that I will be saved from God's judgment and I will walk in newness of life. That's what we're saying. It's an external sign, but it's signifying an internal reality. Because Jesus died, the old me's died. I now trust in him. Peter is standing here at Pentecost, preaching to this crowd. And Peter is like Noah, calling people to be saved through the waters of baptism and the ark of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again, in case you want to debate this at lunchtime or send me an email tomorrow. Peter at Pentecost is like Noah calling people to be saved through the waters of baptism into the ark of Christ. That's the correlation that he's drawing. I am in Christ. I have union with Christ. Therefore, I am saved from judgment. So therefore, we have to ask ourselves the question, do you need to be baptized to be saved? Do you need to be baptized? What do we think? Answer that question in your head. Do we need to be baptized to be saved? Let me tell you. You need the reality. You need the reality of the thing pictured. Which is profession of faith in Jesus Christ. A clean conscience before God because you're trusting in Him and His resurrection. You need the reality. You need the thing signified. My question is, why not the sign also? They go together. 
demonstrate that you have been signified by being baptized. We'll go quicker here. Number three. Baptism is a sign of submission to Jesus Christ's Lordship. In the name of Jesus Christ. It says in the Great Commission, I'm going to use the Great Commission for the next two. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, given to the church. says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Whose Lord? Jesus is. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And he says, I command you, my followers, my disciples, those that have my name, those that identify with me, be baptized and then be taught all that I have commanded you, teaching them to observe. I believe this is very clearly about the local church and we'll get to that now. Simply, baptism is step one in Christian discipleship. Step one. You say, I've become a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live for Him now. What do you do? First thing you got to do is be baptized. Show that you walk that road. And it's a submission to Jesus' Lordship because the disciple lives under his reign. What you're saying when you get baptized is that you're saying, I live for him now. I do what he says. My life is not my own. I've turned from going my own way. I've repented. I live for him now. Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The fact that we have kept those commandments is our reason for needing a savior. But let me ask, is baptism a command? Be baptized. Yes, it is. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I know this sounds legalistic to some people, but I say baptism is a command that you ought to keep. It's not legalistic to do what God tells you to do, just so we know. It's legalistic to create new rules. It's legalistic to say your law-keeping is what makes you right before God instead of faith in Christ and His obedience. But now that you've come to faith, now that you profess faith in Jesus Christ, it's not legalistic to obey His commands. Baptism is a commandment. I've got to ask... I have to ask some people, if you're a Christian but you're not baptized, if Victor and Russell are feeling uncomfortable right now, don't worry, it'll happen for you soon. If you're a Christian and you're not baptized, I'm kind of wondering, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting to become a better person? Just be a little bit better? Sin a little bit less? That's not the point, right? That's not what's being pictured. Jesus says, these are the blessings that I give you. This is what I offer you. Now, come live for me.
I died for you. Now live for me. Being pictured in baptism. And lastly, briefly, you're baptized into the church. That's the fourth thing. That's the fourth thing pictured in baptism. It says in verse 41, Those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the body of Christ. Added to the church. And in verse 42, those 3,000 people begin meeting. They begin worshipping. They begin breaking bread. They take the Lord's Supper. We're going to start looking at those take soon. They begin worshipping. They begin meeting. The church is formed. You're baptized into the church. You identify with the local church. You don't get baptized and then go off on your own. Great Commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Where does discipleship happen? In the local church. Where do you learn the word? In the local church. Where do you follow Jesus? In the church. Where do you obey those commandments? To love others? In the church. And then in the rest of your six days of the week. In the world. In your vocation. As the church scatters into the world. And Jesus says, I'm behold you, I'm behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I go with you through my Holy Spirit. You live under my Lordship, I'm with you always. Isn't it amazing that in this one day we said that at Pentecost Jesus began his ministry from heaven. The Gospels are Jesus' ministry while on earth. Acts is Jesus' ministry from heaven through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus acquired 3,000 followers on Pentecost. He acquired more followers in one day than he did in three whole years of public ministry. It's amazing. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. You will do greater works than I not that they were greater than him, but as soon as he sent the Spirit, evangelism was given a massive kickstart. 3,000 people were baptized. And the church has been multiplying ever since. Multiplying ever since. Let me summarize. Tie those four things together. By being baptized, we show publicly that we have repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection. In baptism, we're showing symbolically that we've been saved through water from the coming judgment. And that our conscience is clean before God because we've put our trust in the resurrected Jesus. We're baptized into the church and identify as those who are his disciples. We've given up living our own lives our way and instead live for him under his lordship. 
greatest thing that you can do to show Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is my King is by standing publicly and saying, I profess faith in Jesus Christ, baptize me.